Welcome to Driving Forces, your weekly news show here on WBAI 99.5 FM and as always streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and each week my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and I focus on the issues that are dominating discussion in the city, state, and across our country. And today we have a fantastic show ahead for you. But first, let me bring on the amazing, stellar, dynamic, dachshund-loving journalist, Celeste how are you doing today, Celeste? I'm legally changing my name to that, Jeff. <laughs> I am thrilled, as always, to be here with you and with everybody out there in Radio Land. You know, I've been following a lot of what's going on in the news. There are so many different issues we can talk about, but you and I have wanted to talk about a certain individual for some time on the show. We're going to be able to do that for the whole focus of this show coming up. But I figured we should at least start off before we bring on our guest just to kind of talk about what's been on our mind today, what issues we've been following, anything that's been on your mind. Yeah, definitely watching this story about uh, Mayor Eric Adams and the issue with homelessness in the city, particularly with this influx of uh, refugees, which, you know, you've, you've read the coverage, but the idea that he's essentially saying that, uh, the system is overwhelmed that when New York City promised a bed to everybody who needs a bed, a place to stay, that did not ever envision a situation like what we have right now. And of course, you've seen these other reports of uh, migrants even been fl uh, being flown to Martha's Vineyard, being dropped off in front of the home of Vice President Kamala Harris. Really sort of we live in interesting times, Jeff. Yeah, it's, it's just astounding. You, know, you think about how, uh, pre pandemic, there were more than 60, I think it was 61,000 people that were in our city uh, shelter system. Then amid the pandemic, as our listeners know, because we've talked about this, there were the eviction moratoria on a state level, on a national level, and a number of people were not being evicted then. Then when those ended this year, uh, uh, we've seen a surge of cases going before housing court here in the city. But at the same time, as you just mentioned, Celeste, what's happening is um, the governor of Texas has been shipping basically a number of migrants up here to New York, and it's been straining the system, even if still the majority of people who are in the system are New Yorkers who are facing housing insecurity. And to watch what just happened now with the Florida governor uh, sending a number of people, I think it was 50 people by plane uh, to Martha's Vineyard on Wednesday, you know, it, it's just been astounding. And you have to just step back and think, these are human beings. These are people who are coming to the country and then suddenly just being shipped elsewhere. It just feels so disheartening when you see these stories, Celeste. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this is all taking place in the greater context of the upcoming midterm elections, which is a whole nother story. But, you know, this this idea of this extreme partisanship. And yeah, look, I can understand how people on on one side or the other might be saying, well, look, if New York wants to be out there proudly proclaiming itself as a sanctuary city, then they have to be uh, they have to be prepared to deal with these stresses, to deal with this expense, to deal with you know, the part that they leave out, though, is these people, as as you say, Jeff. 
Yeah, it's it's been incredible. The other news, you know, we haven't talked about Donald Trump in some time, but uh was just reading the story a little earlier today. The Times reported that our state attorney general, Tish James, has rebuffed an offer from Trump's lawyers to settle a civil investigation into him and his family real estate business. Now, that, of course, sets the stage for a lawsuit that... uh uh, likely will accuse Mr. Trump of fraud. The attorney general is also considering suing at least one of his chil- his adult children, sources told the Times. And by the way, don't forget that next month, in just a few weeks, the Trump organization is set to go on trial for criminal tax charges in Manhattan. And that's a case that could expose the company, according to the Times, to steep financial penalties if he is convicted, if the- there is a conviction in that case, Celeste. Exactly. And speaking of the former president, of course, it's been very interesting to watch who has stood in his corner, who's gone silent, and people who were once considered allies who have now spoken out against him. Uh, one of his staunchest allies, of course, is in fact the focus of today's show, as uh, Jeff uh foreshadowed earlier in the program uh we're talking about somebody who is very very familiar to our longtime listeners and to longtime new yorkers but pretty much to uh a lot of america you either love him or you hate him no surprise that of course is the former mayor rudy giuliani continues to make news in recent in recent days a bloomberg reported yesterday that the legal ethics prosecutions against him and jeffrey clark who's a former justice department official under donald trump are progressing along with state, federal, and congressional probes exploring the role they and others played in the former president's efforts to overturn the 2020 elections, basically on the grounds that those elections were rigged or rife with fraud. Um, multiple court cases, I always like to point this out, have shown that to be not true, that there is no evidence of widespread systematic fraud that would have changed the outcome of the election of uh, current President Joe Biden. Uh, just a few days ago, of course, uh, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, I don't know if I can say that on uh, on a family <laughs> program. Rubble. You said rubble. <laughs> well, he said that in some ways, nine eleven, which we have just marked the anniversary of, of course, was quote the greatest day of my life. He was appearing on Newsmax ahead of the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And as you can imagine, his comments drew some pretty uh, pretty powerful reactions. So, I don't. When you think of Giuliani, Jeff, what comes to mind? You know, it's interesting because for so many people, there's a vision that stands out about him. That's the image of him on the street with his top managers on 9/11, as well as our guest coming up in just a few moments. I mean, the nation and the world saw him that day as a leader, someone who took charge on that fateful day. And many of us, including Celeste and myself, had gotten to know uh, the mayor and his administration when we covered them as reporters. Uh, in the 90s and early O's. And even if we uh, bore witness to when he sparred with reporters, um, you know, when his personal life became public fodder, when he disenfranchised communities that were uh, that charged he was a divisive leader, that image of 9-11 seemed to redeem him in many eyes. Well, there's a new book out. Rudy Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor, published by Simon & Schuster, and it delves into Rudy Giuliani's life and his mindset. Based on hundreds of interviews, this book chronicles his rise to fame, the glory days, but also not just his successes, but his setbacks. So 
We're going to bring on the author in just a few moments. And then in the second half of the show, we want to hear from you. We've carved out a good amount of time today in the final half hour of the show. So you could tell us your memories of Rudy Giuliani. Is he a hero in your eyes? How did he affect your life then or even now? What do you think his legacy is or should be? So that brings us to our first guest, a good friend of ours and someone who has uh, followed our former mayor through his ups and downs. And just, of course, as our uh, subject today is a name that's familiar to many of you, uh, so is the name of our guest. Andrew Kurtzman has covered Rudy Giuliani for three decades as a political reporter for print and television. He began as a city hall reporter and then wrote what is considered a definitive book about Giuliani's mayoralty. He's covered more than a dozen national political campaigns and interviewed hundreds of elected officials as the host of two widely watched TV political shows. Kurtzman and Company on WCBS and Inside City Hall on New York One News. He's won multiple uh, Emmy Awards for his work. He's the author of two best-selling books, Rudy Giuliani, Emperor of the City and Betrayal, The Life and Lies of Bernie Madoff. Uh, he writes for publications including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the New Republic, and he appears on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News Channel, all to discuss news and politics. He had also served as vice president at Global Strategy Group and a senior advisor to New York City Schools Chancellor uh, Dennis Walcott during the Bloomberg administration. He is the founder of Kurtzman Strategies, which represents political candidates, cultural institutions, and much more. So this week, of course, uh, Andrew Kurtzman has a new book out, Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. In this book, he is chronicling Giuliani's ups and downs, and he pulls apart this hero narrative as he strives to reconcile the two images of Rudy Giuliani as the 9-11 hero and more recently as a, an enabler of election denial and questioning. Uh, as as uh, Andrew Kurtzman wrote recently for The Times, quote, these images come to me when I try to reconcile that brilliant leader with the confused, widely ridiculed figure facing potential indictment for trying to subvert the 2020 election. He has also said, uh, quote, at 78 years old, the man who helped lead New York City and the nation out of some of our most horrible days is a shadow of his old self. So with that, let's step a little further into the mind and times of Rudy Giuliani with our guest, Andrew Kurtzman. Welcome to WBAI. Hi there. Nice to speak with both of you. It's a pleasure to have you here on the program. Really appreciate it. So for people who may not be familiar with this very, very long story of you and the former mayor, tell us about, you know, when you first met him and and what what sort of began at that time. Um, Well, I I worked at New York One, as did Jeff back in the day, and I, I think I was actually the first reporter they ever hired. And before We went on the air in 1993. Um, I went and I had lunch, uh, excuse me, breakfast with Rudy Giuliani at the Waldorf Astoria. And he kind of laid out for me his uh, plans for his grudge match against David Dinkins. And uh, I followed him ever since. And you guys will remember that, I mean, the the Dinkins era was, uh, uh, it was a mixed bag. It was, you know, Dinkins... Um, had a lot of tough breaks. He inherited an economy that was headed south. Um, the streets were in chaos. The murder rate was rising. And, uh, you know, he suffered from what I would call the paralysis of good intentions. He just wasn't kind of up to making decisions that were going to hurt people. 
Um, and along came Rudy Giuliani, who's, who was kind of basically hired by the people of New York to kind of get tough, to crack some heads, you know, to clean up the streets. And, you know, sitting there and watch, watching Giuliani on a daily basis for New York One at the time was, was a, 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 I don't know, a life-changing experience for me. It was like watching one man single-handedly turn a city around and um, watching both his kind of strategic brilliance, but also his ruthlessness, his cold-heartedness, his sometimes sadistic behavior towards his adversaries, the, the, the racism that, you know, was employed in, in the streets of um, the minority neighborhoods in New York. It was, it was just an epic, epic time. And then I was with Giuliani on the morning of 9-11, and we experienced that whole day together. And, you know, that, that it, that's its own story. But, you know, long story short, I've just been fascinated by him from the beginning. You know, Donald Trump kind of has this very linear past, right? He's always been kind of the same bad guy. <laughs> and I think that the Giuliani story is much more complex with a lot more highs and lows. And as a writer, is, is he's a fascinating subject. You know, Andrew, it's great because as I was reading the book, you're right. There are so many highs and lows throughout the book. It's not just one trajectory and it's just fascinating. And, you know, you, me and Celeste, you know, we've, we followed his career uh, and you really hit so many important points that, you know, many that I had forgotten about. But what's so interesting is, you know, when you look at, look at the Rudy Giuliani of today and you think about the man that you followed much more intimately on a daily basis back at New York One, when you think about this evolution, is this really just, you know, nationally people who did not follow New York City news on a daily basis that now they're, they never knew anything about this personality. It always existed. Or has it really just, are you, as you've watched him, has he changed significantly or it's really just out in the public domain a lot more now? I'm I'm not one of these people who believes, well, he was you know, quote unquote, always like this. I mean, he clearly wasn't always like this. He, you know, back in the day, he, you know, you could have loved him or hated him, but you'd have to concede the guy was, was, was enormously intelligent, enormously strategic. I mean, as there was a reason he became the most famous prosecutor in America, a reason he became the most famous mayor in America. He was a very, very smart guy and he picked his target. Right. He wasn't just kind of like indiscriminately criticizing people left and right, as he does now. He, you know, when he decided to torture someone, he did it for a reason. Right. And I mean, Jeff, you covered education back then. Uh, Ramon Cortinez is an old name to a lot of New Yorkers, but he was the school's chancellor. And Giuliani wanted that guy out of office and he made his life miserable every day. And it wasn't just for sport. You know, he he wanted to torment him out of office. And. Uh, it was kind of a disciplined ruthlessness, and I don't think you see that anymore. I think Giuliani today is sloppy. I think he's confused, as I wrote, um, and I, I think he's uh, kind of, I don't know, he's become a tragic figure. 
You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. And we're speaking to Andrew Kurtzman about his new book, Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor, out now by Simon & Schuster. So, Andrew, it's it's interesting because I'm thinking back to not only when I uh, first knew him when he was mayor around the time of 9-11, but uh, I also was on the trail with him when he ran for president and um, was in Florida with him, New Hampshire, places like that. And um, I'm just curious to know, honestly, you said, you know, he's become sort of sloppy and and confused or lots of words that you use there. When do you feel like he started to change or have you been able to sort of track that through your research? When when did when was a switch? Right. Well, I, I believe the switch happened after he lost that race, Celeste. When uh, I mean, he was you'll remember the front runner in the presidential race in 2008 for a year, meaning in the, in 2007, from the beginning of the year to the end, he was the front runner of the race. When the race began at the top of 2008, it just took four weeks until Giuliani dropped out with just one delegate. It was a complete disaster. And the story of what happened to Giuliani when he dropped out is uh, is something that kind of made my jaw drop when I interviewed uh, people involved, including his wife at the time, Judith Nathan, who tells the story of Giuliani falling into a deep depression, um, alcohol fueled, and was kind of unable to kind of function as he kind of tried to process this catastrophic loss of um, kind of his 9-11 halo. Right. He he emerges from that race damaged. His kind of beloved status is now kind of compromised and he's kind of a loser. Right. Literally speaking, who does kind of take him under his wing? But Donald Trump and Donald Trump gives them shelter at Mar-a-Lago and he puts them up in this kind of like beachfront property. And he gives, you know, Giuliani and his wife kind of sway to come and go under the tunnels of Mar-a-Lago. And, you know, the, the, the mayor is he's a mess. He's a mess. And, you know, after a month and a half, he kind of convalesces and goes back to kind of reality. But it began this very sad kind of poignant quest to regain his relevance. And that's where Donald Trump came, came uh, to be. He endorsed Donald Trump even though he thought he was a carnival barker in the words of uh, Giuliani aide at the time. And he did it because he was his only way back to power and relevance. And I think everything that was, you know, every disaster, every Giuliani disaster after that was attributable to that desperate need for power, for money, for relevance. I think that's what happened to him. And I want to jump in here because you mentioned Judy Nathan, and she is a big part of this book. There was a lot of, uh, um, you know, well, there's a lot of he said, she said. There was a lot of friction uh, between people who were close to Rudy Giuliani and Judy Nathan that caused um, some people to leave his inner circle, for instance. Shed some light on um, 
you know, uh, because she's really not during a lot of uh, over the years, she's not opened up about their relationship. She's not talked with the press, but she has with you clearly through this book. How much, um, you know, you know, how uh, much, how open was she with you? Were there topics she would not talk about? Because I feel like in reading this book, she was very candid with you about that period. Yeah, well, she, she's been very guarded over the last decade or so. And, um, you know, she took a lot of hits in the press as, you know, the Giuliani's mistress, quote unquote. But I think what finally put her over the edge were the constant criticisms from Giuliani's people. And uh, she is kind of one of the lesser known reasons for Giuliani's meltdown. And that was a 16 year marriage that was enormously troubled. And one of the reasons it was troubled is the friction between Giuliani's aides and friends on one hand and Judith on the other. And there were just constant wars between between the two camps. And Giuliani was constantly forced to choose. And it was a very tempestuous relationship, a lot of you know, fighting and arguments and a lot of drinking on Giuliani's um, behalf. It was just a really bad marriage. Um, but it was also kind of done in the context of a gusher of money. He was making something like $100 million over five years as founder of Giuliani Partners, a consulting firm. And so together with Judy, they lived this life of extraordinary luxury. They had six homes. He was a member of 11 country clubs. He flew fri- private jets. And she even got a lot of the blame from his aide for that. They blame her for the materialism that kind of, you know, changed Giuliani, quote unquote. And back to why she cooperated, she was, I think, so tired of being um, the villain in their eyes for kind of his downfall that after a while, I mean, it took a lot, a lot of prodding on my part. Um, it went on for several months until she agreed to sit down. She had a lot to say. And Andrew, I want to go back to something that you were talking about a moment ago is, you know, his relationship with Trump and his ultimately his embrace of Trump as I don't know, is sort of a redemption or way to get back on the national stage. It's I, I cannot help but think of uh being at the convention when Trump accept, accepted the nomination in 2016 and uh, Rudy Giuliani speaking this line, as I recall it, quote, what I did for New York, Donald Trump will do for America. And that right. speech very much seemed to me to be sort of like uh, kind of the Mad Libs version of what he would have said if he were accepting the nomination himself. And, uh, you know, as as you mentioned, I definitely remember when we were literally talking about a subway series in 2008. It was going to be Giuliani versus Clinton. It was going to be a New York show. It's a great time to be a reporter in in New York. But I'm just wondering how much of his attachment to Trump do you think was Trump's doing and how much of it was do you think him trying to sort of just not end up in this, you know, the dustbin of history, so to speak? Well, I think uh, a a lot of the latter was at play. I think he didn't want to end up in the dustbin of history. And Donald Trump was the only candidate who was knocking on his door in 2016. And Giuliani by then was doing LifeLock commercials and 
um, representing these kind of uh, um, malevolent dictators across the globe for his consulting business. Um, he also found after the 2008 race that in order to be heard, he needed to shout louder. He needed to make increasingly outrageous comments. You remember charge Barack Obama doesn't love America, right? And um, when Hillary ran for the nomination, he claimed, oh, well, she's sick, right? He spread this like horrible rumor that she wasn't well. And, And that was kind of the Giuliani back then. And it was Trump that, again, like brought him back to the to, um, to the limelight. And at that point, Giuliani would have done anything, said anything for Trump. And he was his meal ticket. And, I, it, you know, Giuliani is able to kind of convince himself of anything if it's in his best interest. And so, you know, fast forward to today, after having gotten Trump impeached over Ukraine, and then, you know, now Giuliani is facing potential jail over the election scandal, He's convinced himself of Trump's persecution. He's, Giuliani has become a fanatic. But really, the heart of it is that Giuliani needed Trump. He needed Trump for his, uh, his financial well-being because, you know, he couldn't get clients if he were locked out of the White House, right? He needed him perhaps for his legal protection. He needed him in office for that. He, he was – Trump was – you know, the be-all and end-all of Giuliani's future. And so he kind of cast himself as Trump's last defender. And that, that kind of is what he is. <laughs> you know, and Andrew, what's so interesting is, you know, throughout the book, and it comes across uh, consistently is relevancy. He wants to remain relevant. Yeah. There's no I mean, question. Was, There's no question there. That was my statement. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's, that was a key takeaway is throughout all this, he want you know, in, especially in the last decade, he wants to remain relevant. I mean, tell me if you disagree. No, I, I think that if you speak to Judith, that would, if she will tell you that that was kind of her major revelation about her husband, that the lowest a person can come. So, um, or the lowest he could come was when he felt he was no longer relevant to the national conversation, that people weren't interviewing him. They weren't quoting him. He wasn't being courted by politicians for his endorsement. His, his America's mayor halo had dimmed and it was driving him. It was driving him crazy. I mean, if you remember, I mean, not, not everyone you know, was old enough to remember 9-11. But Giuliani went from being kind of a term limited politician to being a godlike figure. And I'm not using the term. I'm not inventing that term. Bob Herbert, who is a columnist of The New York Times and a Giuliani critic, wrote a column after 9-11, which which began, uh, quote, he walks through the city like a god. People want to touch him. And he quoted uh, someone in the column saying that he is God. <laughs> I mean, that's the level of adulation that greeted Giuliani for his performance on, on 9-11. And imagine being that person. <laughs> You're the most, you know, one of the most beloved people on the planet. You run for president, you bomb out, and then suddenly you're not. What do you do? And that is the story of Giuliani's decline. 
And and it's interesting, and obviously, you know, a lot of us lived through it. You're right that some people, unbelievably, you know, too young to remember it. But if you think back, and certainly your reporting and and the reporting of others has shown that he was, in fact, you know, narrator's voice. He was, in fact, not a god. That, in fact, egregious errors of management were made before, uh, during, and after the the 9-11 attacks, right? So, I mean, the idea that Giuliani, you know, do you think Giuliani has ever really uh, been taken fully to task for that? Or has he just been able to sort of parlay the aura of being a powerful leader into all this sort of fame and money? Right. I think that's a great question. I spend a lot of time on that in my book. And I think the answer is kind of both that, he did deserve the, the acclaim he got for, A, for kind of taking the leader's job when George W. Bush was kind of AWOL that day, um, you know, exhibiting his natural leadership abilities, and also for putting the city back together in the days and weeks um, that followed, and also showing this extraordinary compassion. If you remember, he spoke at 200 funerals for fire firemen. His eloquence was just extraordinary. On the other hand, as you said, his administration made terrible errors in terms of preparing the um, fire department for their communications capacities. And even on 9-11, he made a catastrophic um, decision, which was not to merge the command posts of the police and the fire departments at the scene. And that, that cost people their lives. And Andrew Kurtzman, I just want to ask you uh, before we go into our next segment, hopefully open it up for uh, some calls and questions. Um, as somebody who is really, really interested in following and reporting on voting rights and voter suppression, um, you know, Giuliani has been uh, as as you've uh, reported thoroughly, you know, entirely in Donald Trump's corner, making these claims about rigged elections, conspiracy theories. I mean, just stuff that's frankly completely off the wall and also completely unsuccessful in court. And, uh, right. you know, as you mentioned, he, he didn't just he didn't become a, a great prosecutor, a well-known prosecutor, a successful prosecutor by winning the lottery or, or a raffle or something. I mean, this is somebody who had some degree of legal skill and legal authority. Um, right. what, what do you think about him latching on to these patently uh, ridiculous on the face of them, but also unprovable in, in pretty much any court ideas that there is something wrong with the American electoral system? I mean, I think he, what Giuliani did was immoral, and I think he did it for the reasons that I that I said, which is that he needed Trump to stay in power, and he would do anything towards that goal, including lie, including commit. You know, I'm not a jury, but um, commit what looked like perjury to me. He, uh, I mean, his his, you know, win at all costs personality, which had kind of defined his career, reached this point by by um, the 2020 election where he was willing to hurt democracy itself. And that's pretty it, it, it's pretty sad. So, Andrew, I know we're going to have to wrap up in just a moment. Uh, really would love to know 
um, your overall takeaway. You know, what's the one thing, if anyone's going to read this book, what's the one thing you want them to take away about the, the rise and, and tragic fall of uh, America's mayor? Um, you know, I think that Giuliani, that Giuliani's story is a singular story in our lifetime. I don't know of any other person who has risen so high and fallen so low. And it's not kind of the story of an average politician. This is someone who was famous numerous times in a historic way and ended up a tragic figure. And to me, I, you know, as a, as a journalist, as a writer, I, I mean, it, it, I, I haven't seen anyone who's actually lived a life like Giuliani. And I wanted to tell that story. That's what I did. And if our listeners would like to find out more about that story, if they want to learn more about you and also about Giuliani, the rise and tragic fall of America's mayor, where should they go? Um, go to Amazon and look for uh, Giuliani, the rise and tragic fall of America's mayor. Andrew Kurtzman, thank you so much for appearing here on Driving Forces on WBAI with Celeste Katz-Marston and myself today. Thank you so much for having me. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming live at WBAI.org. Um, I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by amazing, my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. In a few moments, we're going to open up those phone lines uh, for you, but we do want to do a quick programming. We do want to do just a very quick uh, reminder to you about listener supported radio and why this is so important to us. I mean, we stand for free speech. This is community radio. We are supported by you, our listeners. So that means we rely on you, not corporate America to stay on the air. I mean, we just saw an email, Celeste and I saw one yesterday that indicated we need to raise about $26,000 this month. That includes the if you can believe it, the $17,000 monthly fee that we have to pay to be able to transmit from a top four times square. And Celeste and myself and most of the voices you hear here on WBAI, we're volunteers. This isn't paying our salaries. Most of the hosts are volunteers. I, you might not have known that. We give our time. Many of us give our money as well to support WBAI because we believe in non-corporate, non-commercial, community progressive radio and a station that has been around for more than six decades and we hope will be around for many more decades to come. So I know we sound like a broken record, but it is important to Celeste and myself, to all of us at WBAI, that we encourage you to please whether you're a new listener or whether you're a longtime listener, to give what you can. Every bit counts. My hope is today, in the name of this show, Driving Forces, that we can get maybe 10 people to give $50 each. We'd like to raise just $500. That's a drop in the bucket compared with the 26000 we have to raise this month. But you know what? It helps us. So we are looking for 10 $50 donations. We'd like to raise that $500 during the show today. 
Absolutely. You can give to the station one time. Just go to WBAI.org to give. It's very easy. It only takes a minute. You can give once in any amount that that suits you. Or, as Jeff said, you can become a BAI buddy. You can set it up right on our website, WBAI.org. And you can give a recurring donation. It goes on your card every month. No muss, no fuss. You can do $15 a month, $20 a month, more if you're able. Remember, this is a 501c3 nonprofit station. A big chunk of our donations go to keeping us on the air to pay that $17,000 a month for our rental of a broadcast signal at four times square. That's how we get out on the air. So if we raise just $500 today, that gets us a little bit closer to paying off our September rent. All you have to do is go to WBAI.org, make a contribution. If you would like, there are lots of different ways to do it. You can do cash. You can donate um, a car, a jet ski, or anything. You can remember WBAI in your will. There are lots of different ways to help. You can uh, take a tax write-off, or you can get um, a thank you gift. We have lots and lots of premiums to choose from. So please go to WBAI.org today. Help keep free speech, non-commercial radio alive in New York. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. When we come back, you can start calling now because we're going to just play a short song. But when we come back, we want to hear from you about what Andrew Kurtzman said about what you think of Rudy Giuliani. Here's the number to call. 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Let us know what's on your mind. For now, we're going to take just a few minutes break and leave you with the Who's the Seeker. Welcome back. The Who here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We're talking today about 
our former mayor, Rudy Giuliani, I am guessing that you are going to have some feelings about this. We just had a great conversation with Andrew Kurtzman. He's the author of the new book, Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. So give us a call, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. What do you remember about Rudy Giuliani? What do you think happened to him? 212-209-2877. We are going to go Go to the phones right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. What's on your mind today? Well, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, Kat, uh, having one of those days, it's all right. Is, is Mr. Is Mr. Kurtzman still there? Uh, no, unfortunately, you just stuck with okay, Jeff and me. <laughs> First of all, I want to applaud you all for having one of the most cogent pleas capital for WBAI um, because BAI is in desperate shape. Before I tell you about Mr. Giuliani, um, okay, um, the, the public needs to know that WBAI needs to raise more than 2000 a month, and they're under attack from the West Coast KPFA. Um, and they're also, we have a challenge with getting our license renewed. So along with any capital that you can get, maybe more important than that is talk to all your friends to listen to information, as you just heard over the last 40 minutes, that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And, and uh, Mr. Kurtzman isn't going to be on for 45 minutes displaying how a gentleman who is, intelligent gets swept up in his own his own orbit and then finds a greater sun to get be captured by so, so what what were your thoughts on what andrew kurtzman had to say about rudy giuliani that was it that giuliani had the world in being mayor of new york and when he was term limited out he didn't have anywhere to go and mm. and the 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 um the <clears throat> The, the results of of the the companies that he formed it was never enough so he That's had true. To- well, no, and thank you, and thank you for your call. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to jump in or talk over, but we have, I know we have other callers on the line, and we're going to, we're going to try to give everybody as much time as we possibly can. If you haven't called in, two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. And we're going to get to the next call in just a moment. I want to read Celeste, given what uh, Andrew talked about before, just one quick passage from his book that really kind of sets the stage for some of these calls. Tumult was a constant companion to Giuliani. It accompanied him at every step of his career and plagued his every relationship. Most politicians spent their lives trying to avoid it. He fed off of it. Anyway, I just that was one of the most telling passages in the book. So let's get to the next call. You are on the air. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and uh, what's on your mind today? I hope it's me, G. Yes, it is. Okay, great. Oh, that guy, get him off. Uh, he's great. But okay, anyway, Julie, <laughs> Giuliani. Well, let's put it this way. My daughter, who's 35, kicked his son's ass playing hockey. And we have photos of Rudy and my daughter as he was the mayor at that time. That's all I really remember. Yes, I do remember he was, I thought he was a good person, but my God, what has happened to him? 
he got he got poisoned with Trump. And yes, with the wives and all that. I remember leaving always the papers open to my husband to see all his wife's stuff and stuff. At that time my husband was lying to the counter. Anyway, my daughter kicked his son's ass. They played against each other in hockey. So there you go. That's my great remember. And that guy's gonna he's gonna run for something, Andrew. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Thanks very much for your call. Really, really appreciate this. Just want to say, uh, and just remember the F in FCC stands for family. So let's keep it, let's keep it chill with the language. WBAI, we're going to our next, uh, our next caller, 212-209-2877. Getting to as many calls as we can, 212-209-2877. Going to our next call right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello. Hello. Okay, let's patch in the next call. If we have another call, Reggie. Try it. Okay, let's give it a try. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, my name's Frank from Staten Island. What's on your mind today, Frank? Hi, how you doing? Yeah, I was listening to the whole thing. First of all, also thank you for playing The Who. It's my favorite band, and uh don't always expect to hear them on WBAI. Uh, I always expect to hear like other type of music, but thanks for playing The Who. Um, regarding our Giuliani, uh, check this out. There's another book called Payback, right? Um, I have a friend uh, who, who does like a YouTube show, and he's a big defender of capitalism. And he hates Giuliani because Giuliani put Michael Milken in, in, uh, in, arrested him and indicted him and then put him in jail. He felt that as, a, as he feels as a, as a capitalist, that Michael Milton, Milken was not really guilty of anything, that Michael Milton, Milken was, was really good. Uh, for the economy, for the things that he wanted to do to try to help uh, American business. And um, I, I, one time I called uh, Giuliani on the radio, his radio show, and I asked him about it. And, 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 and Rudy told me that, that there was no question about Milken's guilt. So, so I'm mixed up on the, the whole thing between two people trying to figure this out, you know. That's and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I mean, do you remember the the Rudy Giuliani the the radio show? That was mm-hmm. a big thing with Jeff. Was that the one where somebody called up and uh, got angry about? There was a whole there was that whole episode with the ferrets and ferrets and and Giuliani telling somebody that they were obsessed with little weasels. It was it was really sort of surreal covering some of this stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, W O R our uh, engineer here Reggie reminding me that it was that was on. W O R radio, the Rudy Giuliani. Radio radio show. Show. I think every mayor should have a radio show, right? He's on and the radio now. Yeah, he's on and, the radio, and take the, call. He's on the radio now. Yeah, he's back. He's with um, yeah, yeah. What is it? Katsimatidis station. Yeah, yeah, WBC. Right. Yeah, yeah. So right. if you want, anybody can call him and, and ask a question. Wow. So and see what's so, going um, on. Yeah. Yeah, so well, thank you. Thank you so much for your call. Really, really appreciate it. 212-209-2877. We are plowing through these calls, trying to get to as many as we can. So if you are still on hold, stay there. If you haven't gotten into the into the queue, 212-209-2877 is the number to call. And I believe we have some other callers on the line. Let's get to the next call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and what's on your mind? Oh. Arthur from uh, Queens, New York. Hello. Hi, how are you? What's on your mind today? 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm making it quick because I kind of like for other folks to get in. Uh, the lady had said earlier that, uh, well, he was, that Giuliani was changed by Trump. And I wanted to say that I, I think uh, Giuliani was pretty much Trump before Trump because uh, oh. I remember the, the riot with the police. Mm-hmm. And Phil Caruso and the whole gang and and uh, you know and I people who were down there told me that the the two words that were used the most and I will remember the FCC is <laughs> I'll you. say which that rhymes with a B and the other one was trigger which is you know what mm. when it ends those were the words that were thrown out the most at the police riot when they pretty much called Dinkins a washroom attendant. And I'm glad uh, you brought that up because I'm just interrupting you for one moment. I'm glad you brought that up because I, Andrew goes I into this Trump, so, uh, in depth in the book. Yeah, so some of the good things he did, let's face it, he did an awful lot of things that made a lot of us hate him. And I can remember going to some of those, he would do these monthly come to like town hall, you know, town school hall meetings or whatever. And I can remember after a particular incident going down there and nobody who was black was able to get to ask a question. And I believed it was because they knew that we were going to talk about some things that you may not wanted to hear. And the only people who did ask questions, some of the people who asked questions were people who actually worked in, you know, worked at for the the mayor. They worked down the hall. They were interns or whatever. Anyway, I don't want to say, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Well, I I really appreciate you calling in. And it it is very interesting to me how the perception, you know, people calling Rudy Giuliani America's mayor were probably people who lived in America, which is not the same thing as living in New York, right? Ha ha. Amen. But the, the people, the people who knew him, who lived under his administration, uh, by his rules or by his orders may have, I think in many, many cases had a very different attitude towards him and his brand of leadership. And if you were black, you really and truly had. Had one because, uh, like I said, Abner Louima, a few other things mm-hmm. that happened. I re- him and that him and his commissioners. I can remember, uh, yeah, I can remember if, if they pretty much tried to and they and I am so sick and tired of the bad apples thing when uh when ab- after the Abner Louima assault. And as I said many times before, if I hear them talk about police and say a few bad apples one more time. Uh, it's time to, I think if you got those many bad apples, it's time to go into your, uh, your orchard and, uh, re, you know, do some replanting. And, well, and, and you know, to your point, to your point, I think one of the things that has shocked me most recently was even in the current gubernatorial race, uh, seeing people use the phrase like as a campaign slogan or cheering somebody on saying it's Giuliani time. I think mm. people in New York know how that phrase was used and when it was used. And it was sort of astonishing to me that people would say that much less say that in the context of like positive political messaging 
Oh, yeah. That that to me was quite amazing. I believe we have more callers on the line. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. If we have another caller on the line, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Is that me? That's you. Yeah, my name is Lorraine, and I'm calling from Jersey. Welcome. Thank you. I want to tell you, Julie Annie is a big racist. He's definitely a racist. He he likes to play important. You know, the people try to play big, but but they're not. You know, he has a big mouth, and he doesn't. You know, him him and Trump, right? They're two they're two peas in a pod. Him and Trump, okay? And he had that attitude and whatnot before Trump, before Trump, and. What I really didn't like about him was when those planes had went in the, the towers and, and he was sitting in that classroom. I don't know if you've seen that. He's sitting in the classroom, whatever, and the person came to, uh, his aide, I guess, came to tell him, you know, what was going on. And he was in shock one bit. You know somebody would be, oh, you know, oh, I got to leave now. No, he nothing. I don't, I don't trust him. He's not to be trusted. Just like Trump. That's all I have to say. <laughs> hey, well, well, thank you. Thank you very much for your call. I really appreciate it. I think in that last caller's case, I'm not sure, but I remember the classroom incident might have actually been related to the president at the time, President George W. Yeah. Bush, uh, and not to Rudy Giuliani. But certainly, and as we talked about with Andrew Kurtzman uh, a little bit earlier, there were certainly any number, any number of serious, serious uh Errors in leadership, in management, in judgment that were related to uh, to the aftermath uh, of the 9-11 attacks. Uh, we, we are going to unfortunately have to wrap up the program pretty soon. But once uh, once again, a really, really super quick reminder, we need your help to keep these conversations going, to keep your voice and the voice of other New Yorkers on the air. Please, please go to WBAI.org today. Become a BAI buddy in the name of this program. You can give a recurring donation in any amount you choose that will make you a member of this station and you can participate in important voice uh, votes that help determine the future of free speech radio in New York. Jeff, what is going to be coming up on your next program on Sunday? I'll be uh, hosting City Watch this Sunday at 10 in the morning. So make sure to tune in. I'm going to focus on the horse carriage industry here in New York City. I'm going to have both sides in different segments. Uh, we'll have someone from the Transport Workers Union on and also uh, either a councilman, we're just trying to firm that up right now, or an advocate who are very concerned about the uh, horse carriages in the city. That's at 10 o'clock this Sunday morning. I want to take a moment and also thank our amazing engineer, uh, Reggie, who just kept the show going fluidly today, and also our amazing guest, Andrew Kurtzman, author of Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor by Simon & Schuster, just out this week. We're very fortunate to have him on. This is an incredible book. I hope you have some time to read it. It's it's definitely worth a read. It's going to take you back, warts and all. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Driving Forces. Again, we upload every edition of the program to SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher so you can subscribe and never miss a show. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Facebook as well. Have a great day.